I was on the neighborhood street in front of the house. I was moving, and I'd met this neighbor before, her and her husband. And she came up to me, and she said to me, she said, do you have a church home? And I said, yes, I have a church said, I said, you know what? Yeah, I have a church home. I sure do. And she says, oh, well, I'm so glad you have a church home. But if you didn't, I was going to invite you to our church. But if, if you have some time and you want to come, we'd love you to come to our church. And I'll say, I said to myself, thank you, Lord. My neighbor came out and was so concerned about me that she wanted me to know Jesus. She wanted me to meet Jesus. And so it just, you know, it, it, it really speaks to the message this morning because the title of the message is, Who is My Neighbor? And if you would turn with me to the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 25 through 29. We remember last week that we were talking about Jesus uh, made the statement. Uh, he said, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And so as Jesus continues on, we see that he is now engaging with some other individuals. And so in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 25 through 29, we see a certain individual, a lawyer, that wants to stand up and tempt or test Jesus on maybe his knowledge of the law, his knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is uh, sending others out to share the gospel and they're coming back rejoicing. And so we see in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 25 through 29, it says this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him and saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, what is written in the law and how readest thou? And he answered, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Let me give you a little bit more of the backdrop and of the, of the, the setting of this particular passage. Many of you are familiar with it and uh, remember the title of the Good Samaritan. But before we get to this point of Jesus sharing this parable with the young lawyer, the passage or the setting just before that, Jesus ex is so excited about what's been revealed to the 70, that they came back rejoicing, that he had sent them out to serve, and they came back rejoicing, saying the power and authority that's in Jesus, even the devils step back. Even the devils respect it. Even the devils honor his name. And we're reminded in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, the 21st verse, that Jesus rejoiced in the spirit. And remember, he said, rejoice not just that the devils are subject unto you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. 
And so look with me in verse 21. It says this, and then in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes, that they would know your goodness, that they would know your power and authority, that they would know and rejoice that their name is written in heaven because of Jesus, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, because he is the anointed one. And so Jesus is rejoicing. He's having a party that somebody got it, that somebody gets it. They're not caught up in religion and all these cares of the world, but they understand. And he says, I'm rejoiced that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but you revealed them to babes, the simplicity of the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He went on to say, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. See, it seemed good for God to send a Savior. It seemed good that we wouldn't die in our trespasses and sins. It seemed good that we wouldn't be broken and separated from God. But by his sweet, sweet spirit, he would draw us closer to him. For so it seemed good in your sight, holy, precious Father. By trusting in Jesus, there is power and authority. But most important, your name is written in heaven. So the story picks up with the lawyer who wants to tempt Jesus who wants to test Jesus. And as we take a little bit of look at this lawyer in the New Testament times, a lawyer was the same as a scribe. They were specialists in the religious law, interpreters and teachers of the law of Moses, the Pentateuch. They examined the more difficult and subtle questions of the law and gave opinions you would consider them to be wise and prudent. See that? Jesus kind of making those connections. They were highly esteemed because of their knowledge. As a sign of respect, people would stand up when they asked them a question. And so this lawyer asks a question and we see in scriptures that it gives the impression that he stands up before Jesus, respecting Jesus as a teacher and a rabbi. And he asks the question, how to obtain eternal life? See, this was one of those questions that was debated among the Jewish scholars of the first century. With the emphasis put on obeying the law, as a means of gaining eternal life. It's possible that the lawyer, in his testing of Jesus, was looking for some evidence that Jesus would deny or speak against the law of Moses. 
and that he would say you don't need to follow it. But in his next sentence, the lawyer is looking for a way of justification before God. To be justified means to be in right standing before God. We know only there's only one way to be in right standing with God. Not of our works, least any man should boast, but it's through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus. So the lawyer wants to know what is it that he has to do? What work, what action does he need to take to justify himself and to earn salvation, to earn eternal life? Again, we're reminded in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he's asking this question to Jesus. What do I need to do to, to earn eternal life? Jesus explained, he asks him a question back. He said, what does the law say? The lawyer repeats exactly what Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 and Leviticus 19 says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and to love thy neighbor. And Jesus says, you've spoken well. Go and do this. If you want to live by the law, go and do it. If you want to live by works, go and do it. If you think that can save you, go and do it. And then the lawyer takes a moment. He says, but wait a minute. Before I go and do all these things, I, I, I want to clarify who is my neighbor? Who is it? that I need to love. See, the Jews commonly interpreted the word neighbor as one related to them by near blood or one that professes the same religion. In the Hebrew text that we see that word neighbor, it means someone that is in company with you. Someone that's in relationship with you. Someone in fellowship. Like a brother or sister. Someone of your same nation. But in the Greek text that we see in the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking about this, he's talking about proximity. Who is one that's near to you? Who is one in close proximity to you? So the lawyer is wanting to figure this out before he's doing these do things. One who is neighbor in or according to the law, in most cases in their mind, was an Israelite. Gentiles were not considered neighbors. You see that in Leviticus 19.34. 
But it reminds us in that particular passage, if they are living with us, if they're with us for a while in Jewish culture, treat them right. So there is a case to be made that if a foreigner were living in the lawyer's town, he would also consider them neighbor. So in this thought process, we're seeing him trying to figure all of this out or justify it. Here's what the lawyer understands. He understands that he can love God by keeping the law. But this love your neighbor point is a little bit more fuzzy to him. So he wants to know who is his neighbor. Who is exactly the one he needs to love? He knows that his neighbor includes the sons of your own people. He knows it includes those who are are of his religion. But who else? See, in Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 27, he asks that question. But he, the lawyer, willing or wanting or desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, for most Jews, the non-neighbors were those that were not the same religion, those who are proselytes, persons who converted away from Jerusalem, I mean Jewish religion, those even who were murderers, murderers, who had intentionally went out and killed someone. That I don't have to treat them right, right? They're murderers. And then the non-Jews, those who were not naturally of their nation, which would include Samaritans. Because Samaritans were only half Jew. So in an essence, the lawyer is saying, so Jesus, you must agree according to the law that anyone falls outside of this category or this thought process of the Hebrew understanding of neighbor, we don't have to treat neighborly. We don't have to treat them right, especially not the hated Samaritans. So if they are not considered neighbors, I'm not obligated not able to be, I'm not obligated to be kind, to treat them good, to care for them. I'm only obligated according to the law to love them. And so let's take a look at the standard of conduct for neighbors that was written in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. For them to be righteous in their dealings with others. We see this in Leviticus 19, verse 15 through 18. Here's what it says. You shall not, you shall do no injustice in judgment. 
You shall not be partial to the poor. Don't treat them different than others. Nor honor the person of the mighty. Don't treat those that have much or have position as greater than others. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. In other words, you see your brother doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that you would say something to him, but you would do it the right way. You would be honorable in your dealings and your interaction with them. You shall not go about as a tailbearer among your people. You're not going to be one that reveals secrets that spread gossip. gossip. Because Proverbs 13, 11 tells us, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You keep those things private. You don't spread everybody's business. Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You're not going to try to murder. You're not going to kill. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Not going to leave him out there to just get consumed by sin. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this lawyer understood this. He had read this. He was a, a scribe, a student of the word. And so he says, these things are what I'm commanded to do to my neighbor. But all others that are not my neighbor, I can treat them like dogs. So much so that the Jews, when they would come past the Samaritan, they would close their eyes or they would turn their head. They wouldn't even look upon them. If their feet touched any of the Gentiles' land, as they left that land, they would dust the, knock the dust off their feet so that even the dust from their land wouldn't be upon them. There was a term called the bludgeon of the Pharisees. The bludgeon of the Pharisees, if they came and they went past a Gentile or a Samaritan lady and they saw them, they would close their eyes and they would walk into things and they would bludgeon their head. They would rather do that than look over on someone that was not their neighbor. It causes us to ponder and think about Maybe there have been some times when we've ignored others that we probably didn't put in that category of neighbor, of brother, sister, accompanied. Maybe through distance, maybe through division of lines that have been drawn, maybe through politics, and we forget about the compassion that we're to have for others. So let's take a moment to look at these characters. He's asking Jesus this question, and Jesus starts to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's four characters that we see in this particular parable, this story that Jesus is telling. The first one is the man that 
comes amongst thieves. He's beaten. He's robbed. He's stripped of all of his clothing. And he's left half dead on the side of the road. This man doesn't have anything on to to distinguish himself. So in their culture, a lot of times the way they would know your culture or nationality was by the clothes that you wear. But he was naked. Didn't have any clothes. The other way that they would signify to know if you were one of us or not, if you were uh, of, of, of great standing or a lower class was by the language that you spoke. The aristocrats, the priests, they would speak Hebrew, but if you were a commoner, you would most likely speak Aramaic. But this man was unconscious. He was beaten. He could not speak. So they didn't know who he was by his dress. They didn't know who he was by his language. They just saw a man on the ground that was hurt and in need. And so we asked the question, who is my neighbor? So the first one that, G, that came by his way is the priest the priest we see in the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 31, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. See, this Israelite priest, this Jewish priest, was one of the tribe of Levi. All of the priests were of the tribe of Levi, and they would go to Jerusalem at a periodic time to serve in the temple. So maybe as this individual was coming back from the temple, he was headed home. What we do understand about the priest is that he would spend maybe one week, sometimes two weeks a year, that he would go to Jerusalem, he would serve, and then he would go back home. And so most likely he spent an entire week caring for people, being close to God being in prayer and hearing and receiving from the Lord and from others. And so he has an opportunity here, but he goes by the other side. It would cause you to think that someone of this stature would be compassionate, would care, would stop for a moment and see about this man that he didn't know. And so, Jesus goes on to the next in verse 32 of Luke 10. It says, And likewise a Levite, when he was at a place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So we understand that all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And so the assumption is, is that this man, too, probably worked in the temple in some capacity. That maybe he opened the doors, maybe he ushered the people in, maybe he cleaned the facilities, but he, as a Levite, had responsibilities. And so maybe he too went for once a week 
and he spent some time in the temple and he saw people praying and he prayed and got close to God. And yes, the priest, who was considered middle class or upper middle class and aristocrat, maybe it was a little too much for him. Maybe he still had his Sunday best on. Maybe he still had his nice clothes on or he, he, he had already been spent some time serving others that he could maybe have a thought of, well, I can let this one go. But the Levite, he was more of the lower class. He's one of the guys, one of the people. Although he was of the tribe of Levi and he served in the temple, maybe he more recognized or were in tune with this guy that was in need. But the Bible says he passed by on the other side. And then Jesus gets to the Samaritan. And Luke Chapter 10, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. This Samaritan, hated by the Jews, considered the lowest of lowest of any class. So much so that in many cases the Jews thought they were only worthy of hell. No way a Samaritan would get to heaven. And they were called and considered dogs. And when people wanted to shame someone or speak to someone negatively, they would say, you acting like a Samaritan. They were called half-breeds because they wasn't fully Jew. They were of those treacherous Babylonians and Gentiles. And so of all people, surely it probably would have been the priest, but if not the priest, surely the Levite. But if not the Levite? It couldn't be the Samaritan that would have compassion. See, we even saw the disciples. We talked about it a week or two ago. When Jesus was wanting to go to Jerusalem, he was going to pass through Samaria. And when the Samaritans found out that he was going to Jerusalem, they wouldn't let him pass through. And the disciples said, we... Lord, let us bring fire down on them Samaritans and consume them. But verse 33 says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. See, there was a certain expectation that the closer you are to God, the more you love God, 
the more you would love your neighbor. And so Jesus told this story beginning with the priest. Are you just going through the motions? Are you just going through the law, letter of the law? Maybe there was some thought if anyone would be obedient and have a love for God and a love for others, it would be the priest. But God so knows how to look down in the inward parts of a man's heart. And maybe the Levite who's worked hard to just care for others would care for this beaten and broken man. But it wasn't the Levite, it was the Samaritan who loved and had compassion for another. Look what Jesus said to him. In verse 37 and thir 36 and 37, which now of these three thinketh thou was neighbor unto him that fell amongst these? See, the Samaritan didn't know who he was and did not care. He just desired to be his neighbor and was, and was not concerned about the man's status. See, Jesus does something wonderful here. He changes the question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? But it's, who are you a neighbor to? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus to him, go and do thou It's so important, saints, that we understand that it's not so much about who's, who's around us, but who are we around others? Are we the people of God? Because of the love of Christ that's been poured out upon us, that we would pour out love upon others. See, the Bible says the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us to love others. To be willing to love people right where they are. No matter their race, their creed, their culture, their background, their status. Love. Because that's what God did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him would not perish. But have everlasting life. See Jesus so wanted to give that point across. To make that point that you fulfill the law through love. So much so that Paul cleared it up a little bit for us of who is our neighbor. If you return with me to Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8. Here's what the apostle Paul wrote. He says, owe no man anything. Don't be partial. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in, well, my team is better than your team. The Cowboys are better than the Saints, you know, well, none of that. 
Oh, no man anything. Don't divide all those lines, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. See, this lawyer so wanted to fill the law when he came to the works of the law. And Jesus wanted to show and remind him, if you have the love of Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've put your faith in him, your heart has been transformed. You are a new creation. You are now able to love and fulfill the law. See, this passage speaks to having, uh, to not having partiality for others in our love for humanity. But to love whoever that one another may be. To understand that that one is a creation by God. And that God loves the whole world. For if you have love one for another, there's something that happens. Look at verse 9 and 10. Of Romans 13. See, it puts love in front of it. For this, if you have love one for another, you won't commit adultery. If you have love one for another, you won't kill. If you have love one for another, you won't steal. You won't bear false witness. You won't covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Those that are in close proximity, those that are near you, not just your family, not just your friends, not just those that believe like you. We should love Democrats, independents, Republicans alike. Love worketh no ill to thy, his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Here's some key thoughts for you as we conclude. That one another means one at another. They're always around. We get to be the neighbor. We get to love on those that God loves. We get to be a neighbor to those that Christ died for. We get to show Christ high and lifted up and the compassion of Christ for them. I'm so thankful that Sister Montgomery was willing to love me because I saw Christ loving me through her. This requires a heart to be recreated, to be transformed. See, the reality of it is, is that we all been taught a whole lot of junk. 
And a lot of it has been a lot of divisive junk, separation and evil and fear. Don't go around them people. Don't talk to them. Don't get too close. And by not getting close, we become a little less compassionate, a little less loving. We don't understand fully. And a lot of it is rooted in fear. Saints, that's not a word for us. If you are a child of God, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that shouldn't even be in our vocabulary. See, 1 John 4, 18 tells us there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Doesn't mean we're not going to have it. We're going to have moments. But when we allow the perfect love of Christ to rest and rule in our heart, it casts out that fear. Because fear hath torment. Anybody ever been there? Just plaguing you. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So let me dissect that to you. When we're allowing that fear to kind of overtake us, what it, what, something has to happen. God's love is being kind of held at bay. He loves us, but at the forefront of our mind is this fear, and so it's pushing out our thought of how much he loves us our sense and feeling of his great and immeasurable love. But as we allow ourselves to be reminded of his love, we allow ourselves to be reminded of his safekeeping, to be reminded that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And as that starts to rush in, and we feel it like a mighty rushing wind, his love, it casts out that fear. And that's the way we're able to get up be of use. I sensed it last night. My wife came to me. She said, uh, another neighbor story. She said, Miss Tony across the way, she has a couple of guys that are over at her house. She's not sure. She like, would you come over and, uh, and sit with her? My mind starts saying, well, how big are these guys? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've been, I haven't worked out this past week. And then my mind starts saying, well, what am I going to say? You ever been there? I don't know what to say. It's going to be awkward. And then I reminded myself of God's perfect love. It's going to be okay. God is so good. He'll see us through every situation. So I walked over there. I said, hey, Miss Tony. Went in the house, saw the guys, spoke to them. In short order, they, they left, and they were delivering something for her. It wasn't all put together, and so I got to spend some time and help put together her appliance. We got to talk a little bit. And I walked away from it, and I said, look at the love of God. Because we took a step. We trusted in his perfect love. 
when we do that, it casts out that fear. It enables us to be a neighbor, to be the right kind of neighbor, to be a friend to those that are in need of a friend, to allow the love of God to shine brightly in and through us. So that when we ask that question, who is our neighbor, we, 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 we turn it around saying, who am I a neighbor to? So saints of God, I encourage you to keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude 21 and 22. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He's given it to you. You have eternal life. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And no means no. And of some have compassion. Making a difference. Let God use you to make a difference. Some of the ways that you can keep yourself built up in love. is not to distance yourself from people. Yeah, it's going to be some friction. It's like rubbing two rocks together. There's going to be some friction at times. But like my grandmama used to do, she used to take those clothes and hit them against the rocks. They came out cleaner for it. Serve one another. Be willing to serve and care for one another. Just as Jesus sent the 12, and then he sent the 70. He's sending us so that our love and compassion for others would grow, that we would be neighbors to others, that you would be a neighbor to somebody. Let God use you, whether it's here, whether it's in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Let his perfect love come in and compel you to be a neighbor to somebody else. I guarantee you, you'll never regret it. And you'll turn that question around. You won't say, who is my neighbor? You'll say, who am I a neighbor to? And God will get all the glory because of your love for others.